project where the intellectual elite discuss creativity and other important matters. Today I will be having a discussion with Bucky Miller. Bucky is a photographer, skateboard designer, and writer currently residing in New York. He is a master of his craft, and yet his work seems to thumb its nose at the idea of self-seriousness. His subjects include decorative playground animals, the paths inside shopping malls, cans of pinto beans, abandoned possessions in small towns, and much more. There is no condescending art world judgment in this work, only a childlike wonder of life's seemingly little things. We had a very fruitful conversation that I hope you will find pleasant. What are you working on currently? Hi. Um, Hi. What are you so working on currently? Sorry. Let currently. Me, let's, 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 let's start all of that over. All right. All right. Hello. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. What, uh, what art have you been working on currently? I, I think the most recent thing has been... So... I don't know if you're familiar with it because when I lived on the west coast I didn't know about it but there's a furniture store out here on on the east coast called Raymore and Flanagan mm -hmm. um it just is it's a very I actually haven't been to one but it's like a chain furniture store maybe like I don't know what is there in Arizona like Ashley Home Furnishings or one of those you know like mm -hmm. they have tv commercials and stuff um I have no idea what they sell I assume couches but <clears throat> Some friends and I started a fake art gallery called Raymore and Flanagan, but Raymore is spelled with a W in front of it, uh, W-R-A-Y-M-O-U-R. And we started it really just on a whim. There was a situation where uh, we saw a vacant, I'm being a little vague here on the like, 2% chance that there's any anything incriminating, but I know like, whatever. Um, we found a temporarily vacant space in Brooklyn that had been left open and we decided let's go put art in there. It can be a, <laughs> it can be a gallery. Hmm. Um, and so I had some friends bring some artwork down from Ithaca and then I scrambled together a couple things from people I knew around me and also just some stuff from people that I already owned and we just filled a, a empty apartment full of art and had a small opening which was really just me and the person who helped me put it together the two people who helped me put it together and then we took pictures of it and took it down and made an Instagram for it and I made a website for it. And it was so fun that I wanted to keep doing it. And just by chance, the space stayed open long enough. No one moved in or locked the door or anything for a long enough period of time that I was able to squeeze in a second show there. And then after that, we, we lost the, the space. Um, but I wanted to keep doing it. So I emptied out a closet in my apartment. And now that closet serves as the project space for the gallery. It's like a two by two foot closet that 
I've done a couple art shows in and um, then also have found another space out in the woods that I've done a couple shows in. And all of these happen really without invitation in, as far as, you know, coming to actually see the show, I'll invite artists to, to put some things in. Uh, I try and put together some sort of small thematic connections that I think will be good together. And um, then we, we put the art up, take pictures of it and take it down and pretend like the shows existed for a long period of time. So it started as like a, a sort of spontaneous art exhibition thing has also in a way become kind of a photography project because it's these exhibits that really only go on to exist as the documentation of them and as the photographs and like you know those photographs get distributed on Instagram and um, very few people see it but the people who do will kind of sometimes share it around and it's slowly grown to where now I'm working on a project with a guy from Ireland who I've never met um, I'm trying to break a plate he sent me and it's proving to be impossible he mailed it from ireland with no um, packaging material or anything and it arrived it was supposed to arrive broken but it arrived intact and so now i'm finding other way, trying to find other ways to destroy it because he has some idea for what to, he wants to do with it once it's broken um and and that's that's been the main thing recently i i've been having I, I've been making some other stuff too, but it's very slow. I've, I'm in a new place still, sort of. I, I moved to New York a bit ago, and I don't like photographing here. And I'm, I'm having a hard time kind of learning how to do that and finding ways around it. So this, this fake gallery that is also a photo project has, has sort of subbed in for that. Oh, and some of the artists are not real people. That's important to say too. Some of the artists are like invented. Um, there's, a pre there's a priest from France named Puba Luba and um, a, an artist, a young artist named Garlic Boy, who is a, a young boy um, who loves garlic. Um, there's, there's a lot to unpack with, uh, the things that you just said. Uh, I have a lot of follow-up questions. Um, so the, the not real artists are all you, is that correct? No, 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 no. There are, there, are, I, I'm involved with some of them. Some of them are collaborative between a couple people. Um, some of them I don't have anything to do with. And, um, Pubaluba, for instance, is, um, you know, he's not even really fake. He's an entity that exists online. He has his own sort of small pulsing current through different social media channels. Mm -hmm. um, and he, 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 there are other priests who he argues with. Um, but uh, yeah, I have, not, I have nothing to do with Pubaluba other than that I, I exhibited him in, um, in the, the first show. Well, for the ones that the ones that you are involved in, are is part of the appeal to kind of convey art in a way that is different than like uh, than than your normal vibe, or is there some is there some other motivation behind it? There's something really freeing in in yeah, inventing basically a cartoon character because you can make something that's 
in some ways nothing or in some ways intentionally bad and it still feels um, valid it's like I can't I can't critique I can't critique an artwork made by Garlic Boy in the same way that I can critique an artwork that I've made because I would never be as mean to Garlic Boy as I am to myself (laughs) I see. Uh, yeah and so garlic boy who garlic boy's a um he looks a lot like a a halloween skeleton that you could buy at cvs that's holding one of those trays for candy so like mm-hmm. you would put him in front of your he looks like one of those um but he's got his garlic outfit on and mm-hmm. he um he makes artwork about garlic and a lot of times that'll involve just you know buying some fresh garlic and putting it on a two by four mm-hmm. like a row of garlic on a two by which is something that i would never do myself but like it's what garlic boy wants to do um and and who am i to object my role then just becomes to make photographs of the installation and and share them with the hundred or so people who look at the gallery on instagram how do you figure out what Garlic Boy wants? It starts with garlic. <laughs> it always begins with garlic. Um, but it's pretty free form. I think that he, he will respond to the garlic and the other things that he's given and um, kind of move through them like... I recently had a small collections exhibition in the project space, which was a piece of Garlic Boys that I added to the collection after his big solo show, where he um, he had accumulated like fifty dollars worth of garlic, which the gallery, which I paid for, um, I don't think it was. I think it was like thirty dollars worth of garlic, which is still a stressful amount of garlic to be buying and mm-hmm. holding on to. Um, I got worried afterwards that I wasn't going to be able to use all of the garlic. So after distributing garlic to everyone I could think of to give it to and um, using as much of it as I could in a short time frame, I, I consulted with garlic boy to figure out what I should do with the rest of it. And it was decided that it should just be peeled and frozen, um, which then became a sort of uh, time-based installation piece of garlic boys that I, I featured in this, two-person collection show alongside a, um, a maybe three by three inch painting oil painting of Borat that I found on the street. Um, yeah. And so it was those two pieces. It was an unknown artist and garlic boy in my closet. Um, and the, the frozen garlic piece could only be exhibited for about 15 minutes a day. So it didn't melt. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I've, I've recently grown a little nervous about the, uh, the safety of eating the frozen garlic. I, I ate some on some pasta and got kind of ill. So I, I'm, mm. I might not keep eating it, but I haven't really decided what's going to happen there. If garlic boy is going to garlic, boy, I mean, he might have to do a residency soon or something. Why did you want to uh, break a plate? I didn't want to break a plate. Somebody I've never met before. This guy, James Hatton, he's Irish. Um, I think he lives in Ireland. We've only really communicated over email. He, he messaged me and he said, I have this idea. I make these ceramics and I would like to see 
what happens if I, I would like to leave it up to chance and ship one to you to show at your gallery, but I'm hoping that it will, it will shatter in transit. And do you know that? I forget what it's called. There's the, there's the ceramics repair method. It's Japanese when they'll repair cracks with gold leaf so that there's like a gold seam going throughout a damaged piece of pottery. Hmm. I forget what it's called, but he wanted to use that technique digitally to reassemble the plate after it had been broken. So he wanted me to photograph the, the, the broken pieces. And then he was going to digitally collage them back together. And we were going to print that and exhibit that alongside the object or the, the remains of the object. But now it's turned into the situation where I can't seem to break the plate. And so now I've just been documenting all of my, we want to leave it a little bit of a chance. I don't want to just hit it with a hammer. So I've been documenting all of my um, my attempts at breaking the plate, and I, right now it's dangling on the top of off the top of my kitchen cabinets, maybe fifty fifty hanging off the edge. I'm hoping that it'll fall at some point. I've already had it fall off a couple of tables, which didn't do anything, and. Um, I, it's turned into a different project that's kind of a like an ongoing record of these failed attempts to smash what it, what is actually like a pretty cool plate like a interesting handmade ceramic plate with a design on it that I find really pleasing so there's this weird it's like upsetting that I'm trying to break it because in some ways it feels like oh someone just sent me this nice gift out of the blue and now in order to repay them, I have to destroy it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I had no idea that a plate could exist that would be such a, that would be so difficult to destroy. It's sturdy. Um, what art inspired you to start making your own? Oh, that's a good question. Thanks. Yeah. It's fun to think about that. That's, that's such a fun thing to come back to and see what actually mattered because oh gosh I mean the really early stuff I in high school I thought art was really stupid in high school I was not a fan of visual art and I think that's because I was just exposed to uh, like bad skateboard art that never really spoke to me and people with weird attitudes at my high school who were doing things that were probably not that interesting I don't even remember Mm -hmm. But I mean, my response to that was to become in interested in theater, which was probably not much better. And I think the only reason that I was interested in theater is because I was always really interested in cinema and movies. And um, probably a lot of my earliest influences in making visual art comes from motion picture and comes from, um, gosh, oh, I think about like the um, the Stop Making Sense, the Talking Heads concert movie by mm -hmm. Jonathan Demi. That was really important to me. And the, the strange visuals that are behind them as they're performing, There's there are songs where, I forget which song it is, but there's one song where there's just like kind of non sequitur phrases popping up on a big red screen behind them. And as, as a teenager, I was really, transfixed by the sort of the obliqueness of it all um 
And I, I think that David Byrne in general was a pretty big early influence for me in terms of, oh, this guy does all this different stuff and it's all really weird and interesting. And I liked his music and kind of found his photographs and his other work through that. Um, and then also skateboarding was important in that it's how I learned about photography and how I learned that photography was something that was a lot of fun. I, mm -hmm. I worked at a skateboard summer camp and my boss there was a photographer and he encouraged me to enroll in photo classes. Um, and then when I got more serious about photography, I got too serious for a while and only liked like really sort of photography, photography. Uh, I had to break out of that. Um, and now I don't know what I do. <laughs> it's, it's very strange now. Was uh, quote unquote photography, photography, um, like, did you have to break out of it because it was kind of convoluting like your, your original thing or what was, what was the motivation oh, behind that? I just think, I mean, maybe you can relate to this with music and stuff, but I think it's so easy in your late teens and early twenties to go through a phase where you're just too much of a purist where you mm -hmm. think there's like one right way to do a thing. And I, I totally fell victim to that. And I don't really regret it because it meant that I really learned and really invested. And I think a lot of the history of photography is still really important to the stuff that I do and am interested in. But mm -hmm. I, I think it was more just a, like a, the mindset of somebody who wanted to believe in something above anything else and, and didn't really have that in any other part of his life. I mean, I had, I had been obsessive about skateboarding and that sort of melted into an obsession over photography as I got older. And, um, but now I, um, now I'm just kind of interested in, anything that anybody's doing that's their own thing. And um, I, I, I gravitate towards things that I, I find like humorous, I think, and not, not comedic necessarily, but like they can be funny or it can be also the kind of funny that's like the kind of laughter that happens when you're just absolutely stunned by something and can't really wrap your mind around it. Mm -hmm. I, I, like, I like those areas a lot. Um, but no, I, I don't know what it was about photography that really wrapped me in. I just know once I got in it, it took some time for me to remember that there were other things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like my experience with music anyway, versus like other, other styles of art is that there isn't, I mean, there definitely is the possibility of getting like wrapped up in like how it's supposedly supposed to be done or whatever. Um, but there is also a lot more uh, glorification of being like DIY or not knowing what you're doing really <laughs> that versus like other forms of art. Like I've been uh, trying to get into like writing poems the last like couple of years. And it seems like there's a lot less like other than Bukowski or something like that. Uh, who like is 
pretty gross. Um, there isn't like a lot of like, uh, you know, poetry in like the punk sense that like the way that there is with like music, like, like most of the poets that I've gotten into have like, you know, graduate degrees and like things oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. And it seems like in any other form of art, but music, like there's, I don't know if pres prestigious is the word, but it's a lot uh, harder to like break in in the same way. Like, is that, that's what you've experienced as well? From, well, from what I've observed, um, I feel like poetry might be the most intense with that kind of thing, just from knowing some, some poets and kind of having a little bit of that exposure to that world. It seems very, very insular and very much like an insider's club. And it also seems like they all kind of hate each other. I don't really get it. Like mm. poetry is so tremendous, but I, I've kind of turned off of the, the whole scene. I, yeah. I, I mostly read like, I don't know, dead people, Marianne Moore. Um, but I, I think there's a little bit of that in everything. Um, although I was, I, I don't know. I think it, there's a lot of room, you know, I, I think that the sort of de-skilling thing and the, the DIY aesthetic is, it's, it's huge in art. I mean, I, I was just at the New York art book fair and I feel like half of the tables at the fair were people doing risographs and just kind of um, making their own stuff as, as um, you know, as simply as they could just like getting that expression out there. And I think that it's cool now. Uh, I think one of the benefits of, of technology is it's advances that it's so much easier to make something that feels a little bit more professional now, whether that's a book or, oh, you know, anything than it, than it's ever been. Do you have a firm film versus digital stance? No, I, I'm, I care more about what the, what's in the picture than how it was made. I mean, they definitely both have their advantages and drawbacks i think from a from like a not purist but we'll say purist perspective like film looks more beautiful um especially oh god i saw this book yesterday that was just photograph it was a really big book maybe like a two foot wide book of photographs that someone had made of interiors of cars and parking lots and they they had used a eight by ten inch view camera so you know really large sheets of film that like incredible detail and something like that is just like the project wouldn't have even been anywhere close to being the same thing had it been made with a digital camera or or with a 35 millimeter film camera but um that, that that's just one part of photography and i think i think i'm more of a content person i think i'm i i like i like to look at pictures and I, I don't really like how they were made is the last thing that I really ever care about. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I use pretty much only digital cameras now because it's the, 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 it's cheaper, you know, it's like you pay more for the camera up front, but then you just have it. And I never have to worry about getting film or the cost of, I mean, film has gotten so expensive and the cost of processing it has gotten expensive and there's so much that can go wrong. I, um, I don't know. I miss some of the surprises 
and I miss the uh, the the like excitement. I guess yeah, just the surprises. <laughs> I miss the surprises. Yeah, but not enough to overrule the the ease of digital. And... So I can see how with. Uh, film or in the case of music with like preferring like reel to reel or something like I see the appeal of those things but that it's also a very privileged stance yeah um and sometimes hypocritical too <laughs> a little bit how so oh I mean I I've seen people talk about how they only shoot film and then they still scan their film and make oh, digital yeah. prints of it so it's like you're really, you're really just drawing your line in the sand, and I, I'd just rather not have one. Right. I'd rather just, you know, make, I, because like I, I don't know, I've, I'm, I'm no longer capable of telling how a picture was made. It's like maybe I don't look close enough anymore. I just don't care. Like I just want to see pictures that are exciting. Right. That makes sense. Speaking of which, uh, what makes something uh, click in your brain? No pun intended. <laughs> uh, as far as whether it should be a uh, photography subject. Okay, so this this gets into photography's relationship with language and the way that we all kind of put words to the things that we are seeing in the world and that it's it's you know if you look at a tree you know that it's a tree and your brain goes tree but if you see a real weird tree there is a little tiny like millisecond at least in my brain of, of recognition like pre-verbal recognition where i see a thing it's exciting it's weird and i'm like oh it's a tree and I like making photographs from that pre-verbal place. I think that photography does a really good job of, of, of avoiding the need for language. I think most of my favorite pictures can all exist without the words to describe them. You just see it and you go, oh, that's weird. And then you get more into it. And it's not always that weird. That's weird. It could be that's whatever emotion. But um, yeah, I think about... Oh, like I, like, like you ever see somebody walking their dog on down the street and you're maybe walking on the other side of the street or driving in your car and you're like, oh, that person has a dog, but there's something in you that just feels wrong. Like it doesn't quite, you're like, but your brain is saying that person, there's a person with their dog. That's, that's the world. That's what happens in the world. People walk their dogs down the sidewalk. And all of this is occurring in like 0.0001 seconds or something until your brain goes, they have a pig on a leash. That's not a dog. That person is walking their pot-bellied pig. I, I, I like that. I like that little moment of confusion that occurs before something comes clear, becomes clear. It's like that moment in a cartoon or something where like you are uh, turning over in bed and then like you put your arm around your wife 
and then you realize that your wife is really like a wolf. Yeah. Or like when Wile E. Coyote runs off a cliff and keeps running before he realizes that gravity is going to take an effect on him. Right. But he hasn't like, he, he's still kind of like beating gravity for a second. Yeah. Like, it's, like it's, he, yeah. It's the recognition that happens that actually causes gravity to take effect. Right. It's like, oh, I'm not supposed to be running through midair right now. I better fall. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a, yeah, it's kind of a cartoon logic. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so as far as writing is concerned, because you also write stuff, mm-hmm. um, when you have an idea or when like something in your brain makes sense as far as I should translate this or put this into art in some way, um, what makes you think that something is a specifically visual idea versus something that needs to be articulated further? Is there like, mm. a, and, and is there a benefit to one versus the other? No, I don't think there's a benefit. I think that the two kind of work with, work well with the inadequacies of the other. I, I think that everything is just trying to get to some, some central point of meaning or of metaphor and photography is starting with one set of tools and or, or, or pictures in general, visual art and written work is starting with another set of tools and they're both trying to get there. And I don't think either of them ever get all the way there, which is why we are all interested in, in art um, is trying to, trying to reach that point of understanding that you can never quite achieve. Um, but so, yeah, I think they work really well together. And I think a lot of the times my ideas to write about something come out of photographs or will come out of an experience that I had that I didn't photograph, I guess. Um, Yeah, that's a good question. What is it? What is it that makes it? I don't know. I don't know what that, what like that next step. It's like, okay, this has to be, a story now this can't just exist as a picture maybe it's like wanting to take people beyond that initial wily coyote moment into a stranger longer experience like when it's not just the pre-verbal stuff that doesn't make sense but when the actual lasting experience of a thing continues to be outside of a, a sort of preconceived idea of how the situation was going to unfold. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking about a, a piece that I wrote for uh, a glass tire out of Texas that was about this weird cat. And it totally began like the, like I said about the pig where I opened my door at like 6 30 in the morning one day it was dawn uh really early light and there was this strangest looking cat just standing there staring at me and it, it there was that sort of non-verbal jolt of this is unusual and then i realized it's because the cat just had a really weird looking face with big eyes uh and it was just an and I, but i had my camera on me so i raised it up and took a picture of the cat and it's a fine picture. I kind of liked the picture, but it didn't end there because I, 
I then walked out to the road outside my apartment complex and there was a lost cat poster nailed to a tree or, or taped to a tree that had a photo of the same cat that I just saw on it. And it's the cat's face was so particular and bizarre that seeing it twice in that short a period of time was really unsettling and really confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I photographed the poster too, but there's a situation where just having the two pictures next to each other doesn't really explain the entire situation. It's, it's not enough. And that that's one where it's like, Oh, I do want people to know about this. Um, yeah, I think oh, it's complicated. I was about to say that I think it always starts with photographs, but before I ever got into photographs, I thought that I was going to go to school for creative writing. And then it's like, the writing has only really come back after I did all this rigorous photo school for seven years. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who knows? (laughs) I don't really know exactly. What you said makes sense. Like, you know, there's some instances where just viewing something just has its own mystique to it that I think just like holds its own. And then there's all other cases where it's like, no, this backstory is even more fucked up. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm going to blow your mind even further. <laughs> like, like, no, you don't get it. Like, this was really weird. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, I know the photo looks weird, but it actually was weirder than that. Let's get into it. Right. Yeah. Um, so you like skateboarding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there a connection between skateboarding and your photography slash writing? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, it's a direct pipeline. I, I started taking photographs because of my friend, Matt Price, who also from Arizona um, and is now a professional skateboard photographer has been since we were like 18 or something. Um, He and I, he lived in Mesa and I would go to his house and we would go skate and just kind of goof around and think about photography and he would take pictures and then I would borrow his camera and take pictures of him. And um, so I eventually I got a camera cause I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, and after a while I realized I didn't really like taking pictures of skateboarding as much as I just liked fo- photographing in general. And that's when I, um, I had met, I met the guy who I mentioned earlier at, at skate camp, Buzzy, who was a photographer. He, he was in art school at the time. And I realized through him like, oh, this is something you can do. So then I, I went to community college and took some photography classes there. And the professor at, the commun- at Scottsdale Community College, Carol, her husband, Jim, was a photography professor at Arizona State. And so she sent me to talk to him and then I ended up enrolling at ASU in photo classes. But yeah, I, I, I never would have found photography if it wasn't for skateboarding. I don't, I really don't think I would have, like I have family members who were photographers, but skateboarding was pretty crucial. Uh, skateboarder friends that I've had uh, have talked about just like how awesome, awesome of an experience it is to just like look around outside and then just kind of like figure out like what would be good to like skate on. Mm -hmm. Um, And that reminds me of my experience being into photography in high school, because it had that same sort of, it created like a wonder 
of the world, just being able to like look around like analytically and being like, that's a good, that would be a good photograph. It yeah. seems like it seems like it seems very similar in the way that kind of like makes you like look at stuff uh out, out in the world. Yeah, absolutely. But then yeah, the that idea of of sort of changing the way that you look at a city at as at the way that you are in your environment, it 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 does kind of directly connect to making photographs and it's not only like looking at things in a different way it's it's losing a a little bit of the fear that comes with maybe trespassing or Mm -hmm. or um existing in a way that's slightly transgressive to the normal operations of a city of of a urban environment especially i mean right i think there it doesn't apply so much if you're making photographs in the desert or the forest or something but um uh, the, the, even in those environments, there's still the sort of searching and and what if um, element that that skating has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So, but going back to humor, uh, as we were talking about a little bit ago, um, what is the best incorporation of humor in art? The best, like, like, uh, for like you, that for me, okay. So not like what's my fa- who's my favorite funny artist? Um, goodness, I don't know. I I recently wrote something where I was talking about how I'm starting to think that like the most valuable path through art is just not to be afraid to embarrass yourself, and in fact to kind of to to welcome embarrassment mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and. I, I like doing things that are that are s- sort of stupid. Like I, I, there's a there's a sort of humor that comes from something that's just. I'm making this photography, and I'm I'm making it with a lot of knowledge of the medium. And there's a lot of people who I admire who take this very seriously. But then for me to take those same those same methods and those same thoughts and use it to do something that's just kind of stupid. I think, I think that a lot of times that can be really funny. I think that it can be really disarming. Um, but God, there are so many ways to be funny and so many of them suck. Like so many of them, are, <laughs> it's just, I mean, I think that, oh, I, I feel like I bomb constantly. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to be funny. It's hard to know what's funny and what other people will think is funny and um yeah i don't know what the best way is i i i think i just try a lot of things and when people respond well to something i think oh this this one worked (laughs) good and then other times people just walk away confused i'm like that's fine because i also was confused so we're on the same page about this right I guess I just I think of this question with you specifically because the humor in your stuff is uh, so apparent, mm. and I feel like in other cases, especially in music, where like something is seen as like almost like a a lower form of art if it's like funny, yeah. um, including like you know something like Weird Al or something which like Weird Al is one of the best musicians that exists. 
Yeah, um, he's a but genius. It, but like you know, is is seen as like lower than like you know somebody who's a you know quote unquote serious musician. And uh, but you seem to you seem to have walked that line where you're uh, you there's a lot of humor in your art, but you're not seen as like some sort of uh, you're not seen as a hack. I don't know. Maybe some people think I'm a hack. Maybe <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. Like I, I think there's um, there, has anybody problem- has anybody come up to you and been like dude, this is horse shit. No, but people generally aren't that rude in person. <laughs> um, I've never looked at the comments sections on anything that I've published online or anything. So that, that stuff could be, I'm afraid to, because sometimes, I, sometimes I'm like, I'm the person doing that. I'm coming up to myself and saying, dude, what are you doing? Like <laughs> quit it. Mm-hmm. But um, no, no, no. I've never had that. But do you think like, do you think people are going like, hey, fuck you, Weird Al, you're dumb. Like, is that something that happens or do people just ignore him if they don't like what he's doing? I don't know. People are are a lot angrier than I used to think they were. So, yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe Weird Al does have get that sort of like hate mail. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I barely exist, you know, like it's not like my stuff is everywhere and, and I, I mostly make things for uh sympathetic audiences like Mm -hmm. i'm pretty much sharing things with friends Uh, and so that's that's a that's a good place to start and it also maybe buffers me from a bit of a bit of that other stuff but um oh gosh yeah i don't know there are funny artists who i really like um there there are artists who are just like straight up funny I'll, I'll just use photographers like William Wegman, his photographs of, of, I mean, his drawings and stuff are hilarious too, but his photographs of dogs, like his video, it's, he's just a funny artist. And then there are artists who, photographers who are maybe not quite as overtly funny or intentionally funny, but there's still humor that creeps pretty intentionally into one or two pictures. Mm-hmm. Is there, uh, I was going to say, is there anything or anyone uh, in the art world of any sort that like you think is horseshit? Is there anyone I think is horseshit in the art world? Yeah. What like really grinds, what really grinds your gears as far as like stuff in art? (laughs) Oh, I like this question. I don't, I'm not going to name any names because that feels mean, but Oh man, I see so much painting that all looks exactly the same and I don't even know where to begin with it. And I feel like that is my shortcoming as somebody who doesn't really understand painting very well, but uh, it's easy to be cynical. It's easy to like slip into cynicism about painting, especially as a photographer, because you just see like these weird blobby things that all sell for tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I don't know. It, 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 they just, there's a lot of redundancy. Um, beyond that, it's more about people's attitudes about their stuff than, than what they're doing. Like if someone's going to make, people should be able to make whatever they want, you know? But I think the art is kind of dumb. Like I, I think that we need to probably keep in mind that we're, we're all doing a kind of ridiculous thing and 
when people start to take themselves too seriously or or think that what they're doing is really a game changer i think that's when i start to get kind of put off and mm -hmm. and start to think maybe even start to think less of the person's work um because it's like no what it's like we're doing weird dumb shit all the time none of us are curing cancer <laughs> not that we have to and it's like art don't, don't get me wrong art's important but even if you're making serious art i think that it can be done done with a lightness that's i don't know i think people go to school too much mm. yeah like they're uh be, in the way that they're like trying too hard to like fit into what like you know the man is uh trying to tell them to be yeah oh not, yeah the a man i don't know which man it is but one of the men like the art man is like some amorphous blob man out there making some sort of rules i don't know yeah i mean i went to a lot of art school so maybe i'm a hypocrite for saying it but i think like that stuff's really useful, especially if you can go in a way where you don't have to pay for it, which was what I sought out. I sought out funded grad programs that would give me a studio and a couple of years to make artwork in a, a cool environment that was different than the one I was used to. It's just, I don't, I don't think artists should take themselves too seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of potentially taking yourself too seriously, do you ever just like, think about how just like everything that either either of us make that any of us make is going to just be like eventually erased by time sure and does that like th like how do you feel about that i was sitting in my apartment a couple weeks ago just like watching tv or something and this is i sound i don't know what i sound like when i say this but I, was, I think I was like eating popcorn. I was like, I'm going to die one day. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I just kind of laughed about it. And that's what I was doing. But um, I don't know. I had a, I had a hard drive just crash break recently. And I had most of the stuff on it backed up, but I lost some photos that had never been printed that I thought were kind of good. And now those just will never exist except for like maybe small, low resolution online versions in the best case, but definitely some stuff is just gone. Um, it was a bummer, but it wasn't a bummer because I was like, oh no, my legacy. It was a bummer because I wanted to be able to share that stuff with people and so I, I don't really think that like, you know, a hundred years from now, if no one knows my art exists, that that's a problem. I'm mostly making it for my friends and we'll all be dead in a hundred years. So like, <laughs> what do I care? Yeah. Like, I, I'm very excited to, to be doing the things now. I don't, I don't think too much about what happens to them later. So there's like no part of you that like thinks about the stuff that you make as like um, what you'll like leave behind or something. It's more just like some whatever is enjoyable to you, like in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And what, when, what will what I think will hopefully be enjoyable to other people right now. I don't 
no, I don't, I don't think about leaving anything behind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, like, here, I'm going to make a weird picture. You want to look at it? Here you go. Like, mm-hmm. that's great. That's, yeah. that's a, that's about, that's about the, uh, the, the time span that I'm interested in. Um, and you know, it's, it's cool. Like things can come back. I can find a photo from five years ago and, and show it again and feel good about that. But yeah, everything's changing so much. I've, I've looked at art catalogs, like from exhibitions in the 1980s and, you know, big museums and you've never heard of any of the people, like maybe one person in a 10 person group show. You're like, Oh, I remember that name. And so I just don't think that there's really, I don't, who, who cares about longevity? Mm. Not me. Yeah. Um, how do you think this has gone? This podcast? Yeah. This is awesome. I, I, I'm really grateful. It's fun to like, I don't know. It's, it's cool to talk about this stuff. I, I spend all my time just kind of shuffling piles around. And so to have you be interested in what I do and be asking me thoughtful questions that I can try and answer the best I can. It's like, I don't, it's a good exercise. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm.